0: Happy Wednesday, everyone. We're going to be talking about freedom tonight. Actually, my plan is for about six months uh, when I come here on Wednesday nights, we're going to have the theme of freedom. Um, My thought is, uh, kind of going back to basics a little bit, there's that little uh, saying from Scripture that the truth shall shall set us free. I think there's more than one truth involved, though. We're going to start out tonight with the idea of freedom itself and what that means. Uh, And in fact, the, the inspiration, if you will, for this series of talks, comes from a visit that I had to Boston a couple years ago. And if any of you have been to Boston, you know they have this thing there called the Freedom Trail. And what I, what I love about it, it starts at the Boston Commons and a little self-guided walking tour. You can walk throughout the city and you get to see where Paul Revere's house was. You get to see the, the old church where the, the lanterns were hung, right? One, one if by land and two if by sea. And where the Minutemen marshaled their forces. And the whole nine yards, really the American Revolution, is laid out before you. And and although of course I learned that as history out of a out of a book here in Oregon, there was something about actually being there and seeing these old buildings and and the sense of of what it must have been like to really struggle for one's freedom, the real sense of oppression, the real sense then when it was over of the freedom of moving forward. It was actually kind of overwhelming and even just talking about it a little bit I'm feeling a little a little teared up almost with that sense of the achievement that those people did back then but before we get started on talking about freedom I think I want to start in the opposite direction will you bear with me for a moment if we talk about the opposite of freedom, because I think we've all been there. I think we've all experienced that sense of being bound up into something, whether whether it's a job that we really didn't care for, but yet nonetheless felt, no, I, I must continue. I must show up every day. That's what's you know, paying the rent, that's what's bringing the, my family the money that it needs. Or, or whether we were trapped in an unwanted relationship, maybe with the, an abusive spouse or someone that was drinking all the time. Or, or simply a, maybe a friendship that was starting to get old and tired, where you were feeling like you were going through the motions and really not even liking this person anymore. And yet you felt out of some kind of obligation, some kind of bondage, if you will, that, that this is what I must do. This is how I must behave. Some of you maybe have noticed that the the world itself wants to chain us up a little bit, telling us how we should look, where we should live, how much money we should make, what kind of cars we should drive. Isn't there a little bit of pressure that you feel when you're out even shopping to get the best kinds of things or or what's in fashion right now? I was noticing not too long ago that the Pantone Corporation has a color for this year, right? Right? Do you know what your color is for this year? And have you bought your clothes in the right color yet for 2015? I mean, there are people, and you're laughing, Barb, but you probably have bought something in that color. Oh, all right. (laughs) Well, just so you know, it's a kind of a plummy sort of persimony color, so just in case. But but I thought what was so amazing is, of course, that most of this bondage is self-imposed. Most of it is us buying into someone else's idea of what should happen, or it's us buying into our own idea of the way things were, and maybe they shouldn't be that way anymore, but there's that inertia to our life. That's That that sense of, well, this is the way I've done it. This is the way I'm comfortable doing with it. This is the way I'm used to doing it. So I'm not going to rock the boat not going to try something different maybe maybe things would get worse maybe to change would bring about something really unwanted and unpleasant well I do think that we have mechanisms for moving us forward out of that stuckness but I also at the same thing same time think that we actually have some obstacles to overcome first of all our ego itself is making us resistant to change just uh, the you know the best of us on our best day if someone presents us with two choices and one of them is familiar and one of them is something new, almost invariably we will take that which is familiar. And that's what our our ego is doing, I think, to try to keep us safe, to try to keep us in our comfort zone, trying to keep us in familiar territory, knowing that what we know hasn't killed us yet, right? And so if we stay with what we know, it may not be the best of all possible worlds, but at least we're not gonna die, at least we're not gonna be run over by a train if we stick to what we know, if we're in that comfort zone, that safety. And so that ego, I think, keeps us within a range of incomes, within a range of lifestyles, of educational possibilities, of what what jobs we might apply for and what jobs we'd feel uncomfortable applying for. It keeps us in our little comfort zone. Sometimes the comfort isn't very comfortable anymore, though, is it? Sometimes that sense of being stuck starts escalating to where, though it's what we're used to, and in many ways it may be what we're resigned to, we simply say, this is enough. It's time for me to move on. It's time for me to try something new. And there's that, that a little bit internal tension as our ego is saying, no, 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 this is going to be, and it could be the silliest things, Right? Can it be the silliest things? But there's that little bit of tension between wanting to do something new and being fearful that I won't get it right, that I'll be stupid, that I'll look dopey doing it. Uh, my partner teaches dance classes, and you should see the couples that come in, right? This is dancing. No one's going to die. And often, especially I have to admit, it's the husbands, they look like they're going to die. <laughs> And yet, it's nothing more than just something that will take a little practice, and before long, then the newness becomes part of your comfort zone. That which before was awkward, felt weird, that gets incorporated into now what's new, but it's part of you now. No big deal, you move forward, and then you find something else that makes you uncomfortable, right? Because our comfort zones are always there to be stretched a little bit. The other thing I would say that tends to keep us trapped a little bit beyond our ego. It's also simply our visual perceptions. Our visual and mental perception of the world actually filters out that which we don't normally think of. Were you aware of that? When we a- We will actually not see things that don't fit our worldview. This has been proven in any number of scientific experiments. If you don't believe that a thing is true or that a thing will happen, even if you see it, you will explain it in some other way or you won't even remember that it happened. And this is the explanation for all those family events where have you been to a family event and several people will remember what happened completely different? It's the reason for that. Each person, through their visual acuity and and their own consciousness, concepts of what's right and what happens and what mom is like or what dad is like actually colors our, uh, our ability to see what's happening. And if we think of dad as kind of a troublesome boozer, even if he didn't drink that day, you'll remember that one Thanksgiving assuming or remembering that he'd been drinking that day. Or if maybe you think of your sister in a certain way as, a, as kind of a, a snotty person or a quarrelsome person, you'll remember in the past incorrectly that during a certain event she was a real naughty person when in reality it may not have even happened. It's the way our perceptions work. I'll use an example, uh, too, which made me uh, kind of laugh at the time. Uh, my stepfather in my family was kind of the stay-at-home person a little bit. Uh, although he worked part-time, he was available to actually work in the school for the after-school program and things like that. It was, it was kind of wonderful having one of my parents, uh, uh, you know, as part of the school function. Well, I, I still remember one day I came home and I said, oh my gosh, They told us today why the dinosaurs died out. And my stepfather was, oh, well, that's interesting. Why did the dinosaurs die out? And I told about the, the theory then. Actually, I think now they've decided it's volcanoes. But the theory then was that an asteroid probably plunged into the earth, stirred up so much dust and clouds that it actually dimmed the sun down. The plant life that the herbivores actually lived on uh, wasn't able to flourish and so it kind of upset the whole the whole chain if you will the whole the whole food chain of the dinosaurs and that's what killed them off and so that's what I explained to my my stepfather and he said no well, that's interesting, Larry, uh, you know, I don't know where you heard that, but the dinosaurs died out because they all caught this, this disease, and it was, you know, how like humans get colds, but, but dogs don't, and dogs can get rabies, and do you know what I mean? It's, it's like the dinosaurs all caught something, and so they died out. Well, I was kind of scratching my chin, and this had was sort of fresh in my mind, and so I went to school the next day, and I said, "Are you sure about this? You sure it was the asteroid and not some kind of dino flu?" Or, you know, it's like. And so the teacher went and got the book, and said, "You know, I'll loan you this if you want." So I take the book home, right, <laughs> hand it to my stepfather, and say, um, "Here's the deal on the dinosaurs." Okay, so you would think that's the end of the story. About three months later, in the after-school program, there's my stepfather, there's a circle of boys and girls around him a little younger than me, and he is explaining how an asteroid came down onto the earth and caused a sickness for the dinosaurs (laughs) to catch, right? So he had to somehow fit The asteroid, right, I mean, he couldn't ignore the supposed truth. Of course, now we think it's volcanoes that did it, but he couldn't ignore the truth, but he also couldn't ignore what he believed to be true. So somehow, then it was the the asteroid-causing dino flu, (laughs) you know. We do this all the time, and this is one of the sources, the great sources of our own bondage. It's the beliefs that we have that are restrictive on us. It's the beliefs and the understandings, the the stories from our past that simply no longer serve us. Some of them aren't true. Some of them are true, and they just don't apply to us, and yet others apply to us in only the most restrictive and bizarre ways, keeping us down, keeping us poor, keeping us unloved, keeping us feeling unworthy, the stories and beliefs that we have about ourselves. Okay, so freedom. How do we move forward in freedom? How do we break through these old beliefs, these old ideas of bondage, of lack, of limitation, the the things that we thought were to be true and maybe aren't? How do we understand them? How do we break through them? Well, first of all, I think it's time for a joke. (laughs) I think this will explain a little bit. So a kindergarten teacher gave her class a show-and-tell assignment. Each student was instructed to choose an object to share with the class that best represented their religious beliefs. Well, the first student got up in front of the class and said, my name is Benjamin, I'm Jewish, and this is a Star of David. And he started explaining a little bit about the Star of David and its meaning in Jewish theology. The second student got up in front of the class and said, my name is Mary, I'm a Catholic, and this is a rosary. And she explained a little bit about the number of the beads and how you would use it when you were praying and and, and sort of the meaning of of reciting the rosary. Well, the third student got up in front of the class and said, my name is Tommy, I go to the Center for Spiritual Living, and this is my casserole. (laughs) And it began explaining how potlucks worked. Do you see that it is truly our choices, our ability to look at what is right in our own lives and and choose and re-choose and choose again. We don't have to all be alike. And one person choosing one path doesn't make another person wrong. As many of us exist in the world, there are even an infinite more number of choices that we get to make in the process of developing our lives. And when we have made a choice, does it mean that we can't then undo it later? See, that's the other thing that where we we lie stuck in bondage is we think, well, I've gone down this path, there's no turning down now, I'm in a bad marriage, but I'm just stuck in it. I'm in a rotten job, but by gosh, I don't have any choices. Not only can we choose, we get to keep choosing. Not only do we get to make up our mind about something now, but if we give ourselves half a chance, we can remake up our mind about something later. All right, I want to go back to Boston for a minute. One of the things that uh, where the Freedom Trail in Boston started uh, was in the Boston Common, and it represented two elements of freedom to me, and I wanted to share them with you today. First of all, it uh, in 19 uh, excuse me in 1775, three brigades over a thousand redcoats were in residence right there in Boston Commons, part of the Boston occupation of Boston by England. And so it was from there that they actually marched in the now infamous, if you will, uh, March on Lexington and Concord. So there they were, right in the public land that the British had entrenched themselves. That was their little encampment with which they were assuming control of Boston. It represented at that time something Perhaps amazingly grievous to the people. Here was a, a plot of common land, and I'll tell you in a few minutes what that really represented to the folks, but it was owned communally by the community. And here, the, the enemy, if you will, the oppressors, were actually moved into this land and were using it as their basis for, for locking down the Boston area, making sure that people were paying the British taxes and so on. Oh my gosh did that inside a riot. And I want to suggest to you that sometimes we need a riot right inside our own mind because our worst enemy, I think, is complacency. Our worst enemy is thinking this is as good as it gets and I'll just have to, to stick with this. Sometimes we need to actually get up our riot forces and move forward to feel outraged about our own level of just good enoughness. Do you see the trouble here? Most of us are living good enough. Most of us are fine in our homes or apartments. Most of us are living somewhat comfortably, if not extravagantly. Uh, most of us have a, a place to go and a food, a, you know, warm shelter, nice family arrangements. You know, things are certainly good enough. And if we're not careful, they'll never get any better, Where's the riot in our life? Where are the, the, the moving us forwardsness? I don't even know what you want to call it. Where's the impetus for change? Sometimes we have to create it on our own. In some ways, the Bostonians had it easy. There was the enemy. They were actually wearing red coats. How handy to spot them. What are the red coats in your life? Where are the places in your own life right now that you are holding yourself hostage? Is it in your job? Is it a relationship that should be over? Is it a a family dynamics with children or grandchildren that's really just untenable? Each of us has unlimited growth, but we're not going to take up on that unless we've staged a little bit of a riot. Unless something makes it worthwhile for us to get off of where we are and who we are right now. That's the sacrifice we have to make. We have to give up a little bit of the comfort zone that we have right now in order to make more dramatic progress. The other thing that Boston Commons reminds me of in terms of freedom is the source of it. In 1634, a large group of Bostonians each paid six shillings to communally purchase Boston Common. And it became the first commonly owned piece of land in America. Now, this, maybe you're saying, well, you know, that's maybe not a big deal, but if you think about it for a minute, here is a group of people mostly that came from uh, from England and the British Isles, where the land was owned right by the aristocracy, and so of course the natural thing for the Bostonians that they would want to do. No, I want to own my own piece of land. I want it for me. I want to, you know, I want to be the laird of the land, so to speak. And instead, they recognized that land held in a public way, that they could do something communally that would probably be impossible for them to do individually. And so rather than going with that idea of each person for their own, they had a really wild idea. And they didn't even know how it would turn out. They didn't even really know or have an idea of of how the land could be maintained as a group or how they would use it as a group. But what they recognized was here was an opportunity to do something together that we would not be able to do individually, and they launched into it. And what I learned about this personally is to take a chance once in a while. Do I always know how my, uh, my new avenues of growth are going to turn out? No, I don't. Do they always turn out really good? I could lie and say yes. (laughs) I could lie and say every new thing I tried. In fact, I was uh, moaning uh, not too long ago to my piano teacher, and I think he's finally kind of given up on me and vice versa. It was like I thought, no, you know, I gave up on piano lessons when I was 12, it was too hard, and I hated my piano teacher, but now I'm an adult, I'm a big boy now, right? I could pick out a piano teacher I like, I could pick out music that I like, (laughs) it'll be a completely different experience. Only it wasn't so much. (laughs) (laughs) Gary, it was still hard work. (laughs) So am I always successful? No. But do you see the delight in my face at having tried it? Do you understand the freedom I felt in having another go at this? And, and it doesn't mean I'll, I'll, I'll not dink around on the piano. No, quite, quite the contrary. I, I kind of enjoy it, but I've also given up the idea of you know, really being an accomplished uh, pianist as well. It just isn't in the cards for me. And I'm happy with that, and it was a grand adventure, and will continue to be so. And if I had not thought it worthy of trying oh, my life would be different. We need to be willing to seize these gems of an idea, these new ways of thinking, and at least try them out, at least give them a good go. Otherwise, we're sitting in our chair, we're watching TV, we're doing the same old, same old. There's nothing wrong with our lives, but can you imagine the delight of a life that has that upward slope to it. That sense of each day and each year, something new to look forward to, some, some grandness, new, some, some new way of being, whether it be a new hobby or a new love or a, a new interest or, or a new home, or, you, you know, it's limitless. It's infinite. That's the nature of God. So I just want to remind you, by way of summary, The two things I learned from Boston Commons, one is to create a riot. One is to know what those red coats are in your your own mind. What's keeping you down? What in your own thinking, your own way of being is your enemy towards freedom? And the second piece of it is no more than to try new things. I'm going to close tonight... As you know, I do like to assign homework, and so here goes. Where are you experiencing bondage or limitation in your life right now? What are those red coats? I'd like you to do a little work to see what is constrictive in your own life. What is feeling like it doesn't fit right now? What is making you feel like you're trapped a little bit, whether it be a job or a relationship, whatever? I want you to maybe uh, uh, think about writing that down or at least figuring out what that is. And then I'd like you to do some honest-to-goodness uh, Open hearted brainstorming around it. What new ideas exist? And be fearless, knowing that you can choose, and you can choose again if you have to, and you can choose differently a third time, that the choices in life are limitless. And sometimes you'll make a good choice right off the bat, and sometimes <laughs> not so much, and it's okay. So that's your homework. What are your own red coats? And what are some of the wild ideas that you might want to try to make that that next movement in your life onto that upramp towards greater love, greater freedom, greater joy, greater abundance? I'm going to close tonight with a, a quote from Ernest Holmes on freedom and a prayer. This is what he says about freedom. It's from the Science of Mind textbook. Freedom of will means the ability to do, to say, and to think as one wishes truly to express life as one personally desires. The divine plan, it's one of freedom. Bondage is not God-ordained. Freedom is the birthright of every living soul. We can intuitively feel this, and the truth points to freedom under the use of God's creative law. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness. There is that one thing that I call God and what I know about God is that it is present now, it is present during the American Revolution, it's present in stories of dinosaurs, it's present in the truth of our own freedom and occasionally our own bondage. God is present everywhere and everything. I know that means me, I know that means that I inherit the qualities of God, including freedom, and that truly, through my own thinking, co-creating with God, I can experience freedom. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that each person here has that, that grand capability of shaking their own lives up a little bit, of getting beyond that comfort zone into a zone of excellence putting aside the, the good enough and striving for the miraculous. This is the truth of each person here, and I'm grateful for it. I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself, knowing that that law simply says yes to, to each of our wild ideas, to each of our, our heartborn hopes, to each of us, God says yes. I'm grateful for this. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thanks so much for being here. Glad you're here on this Wednesday night. Thank you so much.